Welcome to another BCLA podcast. My name is Luke, the CEO of the BCLA. This is the fifth episode of the BCLA Clear series. Scleral lenses were the first type of contact lens to restore vision and protect the ocular surface. With the advent of rigid corneal lenses in the middle of the 20th century and soft lenses in the 1970s, the use of scleral lenses diminished. In recent times, though, there's been a resurgence in their use to provide advances in manufacturing and ocular imaging technology. Scleral lenses are often the only viable form of contact lens wear across a range of clinical indications and can potentially delay the need for corneal surgery. This report provides a brief historical review of scleral lenses and a detailed account of contemporary scleral lens practice, including common indications and recommended terminology. Future applications, which take advantage of the stability of scleral lenses, are also discussed. And with that, I'll pass you over to Dr. A. van der Warp, who discusses some of the key findings of this report with Dr. Melissa Barnett. Melissa does an extensive introduction to A, so you can listen to his credentials there. And Dr. Barnett needs no introduction, as she's done several of these episodes already and is a global ambassador for the BCLA as well as a fellow. Enjoy this episode. BCLA Clear was facilitated by the BCLA with financial support by way of an educational grant, collaboration, publication and dissemination provided by Alcon and Cooper Vision. BCLA Fellowship Scheme is to recognise a member's esteem in the field of contact lens and interior eye. It allows you to use the post-nominal letters FBCLA, which shows commitment to the association any significant contribution you have made to field. Stand out from the crowd. To find out more, visit the BCLA website. For this episode, I am joined by A. Vanderwerp, who is an educator and researcher. He runs his own research and education consultant business, Eye Contact Lens, which is based in Amsterdam. He is a fellow of the AAO, BCLA, and the SLS, a lifetime fellow of IACLE, and an honorary life member of the Dutch Contact Lens Association, ANVC. He's on the educational committee for a number of conferences worldwide. He's also an assistant professor at Pacific University College of Optometry, an adjunct professor at the University of Montreal, University College of Optometry, and lectures extensively worldwide. Not only is Afe an amazing colleague, he's a great friend and collaborator on the BCLA Clear Scleral Report. Welcome, Afe. Thank you. From Amsterdam to you there in, um, in California. Yes, it's looking like winter is coming in Amsterdam and it's a, it's, a little chilly in California too today. Is it? Actually, uh, Melissa, I should be interviewing you because you're the lead author on this uh, scleral lens report from the clear uh, papers. Well, well, this is a great opportunity to chat about it. Sounds I'm very good. proud of the BCLA Clear Scleral Report, and we had an amazing team that we worked with to come up with, I personally think is a great report. Absolutely. I totally agree. Great team. And uh, I mean, I was, I'm so happy, Melissa. I mean, you, you've been in this scleral lens field for a while. About 10 years ago, there were only a handful of experts that really believed in it, right? And um, look at this now. We have our own chapter in the BC Lake Clear Report. It's like 
like we're growing up, right? Like it's becoming something, well, really serious finally. This may be the first in its nature, right? As a, as a true evidence-based, that too, evidence-based report. I mean, scleral's up to now was just case report and clinical experience, and I believe that, and I believe such. And now we have an evidence-based report um, at the BCLA. I mean, how cool is that? It's amazing. And if you look at scleral lens research, you know, in 2020 and 2021, I mean, the amount of research just in publications in general, it's skyrocketing. So it's definitely a, a great, exciting time. As always, and so and there's a lot of interest in it because I looked at the um, contact lens and anterior AI website today for most downloaded articles, and guess what? The scleral ones is is in the top three of downloads. So it's it's out of all the papers, not just clear, all the papers, uh, it's right up there in the top. So it's uh, not not certainly not to brag, but it's just showing that sclerals are gaining uh, well even more interest than than they're already getting. You wonder how much is enough. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's still a lot of potential, I think, for scleral lenses. So I'm going to ask you some questions for this podcast about the BCLA Clear Scleral Report. And the first question is, why is scleral lens nomenclature important? Well, since it is such a new and upcoming, um, well, is it a modality? I think it's a modality. Um, so, you know, up to now, we were talking about clearance and things, and now we've established that it's a fluid reservoir um, thickness, right? So it's things like that, and, and you can go on and on. Um, in general, we don't insert lenses, we apply lenses, right? And, and all these kind of things. For me, I think scleral lenses, that's another, well, I don't know if it's important, but yeah, I, I kind of like to adhere to that instead of scleral contact lenses, because obviously the scleral lens is not in contact with the cornea, like all other lenses are. Now you may argue that they are in contact with the well, not with the sclera, really. They're in contact with the conjunctiva and there may be tenons capsule underneath, not, not even in contact with the sclera. So then if you want to do it correct, you need to call them conjunctival lenses or something. <laughs> so I like scleral lenses rather than scleral contact lenses. So since we are so new and upcoming, I think it's really important that um, we start there by using the same names for the same thing. Exactly correct. And I agree with you. I really prefer scleral lenses as well. It would be funny to say scleral conjunctival lenses that you know we can go on and on, but it keeps it nice and simple. So we're all kind of speaking the same language. We're all talking about the same things when we're describing different aspects of scleral lenses. So in the BCLA clear scleral report, what were some of the key takeaways for you? What did you take from this report that you can use in research or practice? Yeah, well, it starts um, with that the indication range, I guess, for sclerals are broadening up still. So it used to be for the truly irregular corneas. We even had a session called train wrecks uh, at some meetings, uh, I recall, <laughs> including yours, I think. Yes. And uh, that, that's for the truly irregular corneas where nothing else would work, where literally a corneal GP would fall off. By the way, that is the best compliment we could get, right? Since we have sclerals, we're not we're calling um, uh, rigid gauss permeable lenses corneal lenses now, as opposed to sclerals. So that sort of gives it away how popular sclerals have gone. But um, so yeah, the indication range is broadening up 
to eyes that are not all that irregular and you know some amount of corneal toricity may actually be a good indication to go to a um, to a scleral lens and then more and more other indications in, including for sure dry eyes you know um, I've been to some of the biggest scleral lens practices around the world I think and uh, more often than not, they're doing dry eye rather than coroticonus, basically. Um, so yeah, that is that is still to be explored. It's a different animal because it's more about managing the patient uh, rather than just the technical part of fitting the lens. But uh, there certainly is uh, is opportunity there. So that that's probably the number one uh, take home message uh, from the paper, and there are more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. There there are so many, but. I remember a, a great colleague said to me a few years ago, you know that you're gonna be seeing a lot more dry eye with scleral lenses coming up. And it, it's so true. So as scleral lenses expand and as more people are fitting, corneal irregularity just in general, a lot of people can fit corneal irregularity, keratoconus, corneal ectasia, pellucid marginal degeneration, post-LASIK. But when it comes to the graft versus host disease and the Stephen Johnson and the limbal stem cell deficiency and the neurotrophic keratitis, yes, I am seeing many more of those um, patients. And it reminds us the importance of fitting not only the eye, but also managing the whole person. So systemic disease, managing expectations, going over the quality of life, how we can actually really help and transform patients' lives with scleral lenses. Yeah, true. And it makes sense, right? You have that beautiful column of fluid behind that lens, um, which is very um, nurturing, I guess, to the, uh, to the cornea in, uh, in many ways. And for me, that, that's where I always start also with my students. You know, the number one benefit of scleral lenses is that they bridge the cornea. So no matter how irregular it is, how much progression there is in cones or whatever, you know, that thing can grow underneath that scleral lens and the same with dry eye. Um, but we got to bridge over that whole thing. And that is the, maybe the, 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 one of the other, at least take home messages uh, was the clearance. Uh, yeah. Getting clear on clearance, or as we should say now fluid reservoir thickness, actually um, that with this group, and based on the international literature, evidence-based, we could say, well, we probably want to be within 100 to 300 microns of central clearance. And then maybe on the limbus, it's up to 50 microns or a little bit less. I like a little bit more. And the literature does show that too. And the report also talks about the, um, the sinking of the lens, of course. Um, that um, you need to take at least 100 microns into account after first application because the lens will sink or settle is probably a nicer word into the conjunctiva and um, but all these things are so well described so for the first first time we actually have that well is it a blueprint almost for scleral lens fitting right yes yes again i'm very proud of this report so how does current instrumentation help with modern scleral lens fitting? Oh, boy. Don't get me started, Melissa. I'm getting you started. <laughs> okay, well, 
so a, a question I do get quite regularly, why is ClaraLens so popular now in the last 10 years and not before? And there is a whole range of things. Of course, there's better materials and we have better understanding of, of the corneal physiology behind the lens. The research certainly helps. But for me, the, the, it started with, with understanding shape and with shape, I don't mean corneal shape, but ocular surface shape. And now that we really understand what that thing looks like, the sclera and its shape, now we can really, it's lens fitting. So in the BCLA philosophy, whether you're fitting a soft lens, a corneal lens um, or a scleral lens, it's all about respecting that shape of the ocular surface. And that doesn't matter what lens you're fitting. And, but up to now with clear lens, we had no clue. Um, the group in, here in the Netherlands, the Vissers knew a long time ago, well, there's something about these large lenses that we fit, 18, 20 millimeter. We can't get them to fit if they're spherical. And they went to toric lenses without even understanding the shape, but they knew something was there. And now we know from the work of Greg De Nero, which is very well described in the paper, that about five, six percent of eyes are spherical and with spherical we mean less than 300 microns of elevation difference in a 16 millimeter circle on the sclera uh, so that's somewhat spherical um, if it's more than that well we gotta start thinking potentially about toric quadrant specific or even more complex shapes and that really for me spurred the success of scleral lenses uh, that we have now, really. So yeah, shape is everything. And um, I'm not saying that you need a corneal topographer um, or excuse my English, a scleral topographer or ocular surface topographer. I think you can do it with, uh, with trial lenses, but understanding and knowing that there is a gap basically between the lens and the ocular surface and fluid is going to go in and out and air bubbles are going to get in. Um, that is a problem and you need to go to some kind of more complex lens design there and uh, that really helped. Yes, I just, gosh, thinking about the last decade, right, and how diagnostic scleral lenses have even advanced diagnostic fitting sets based off of all of this information. And just all the, the recent publications in scleral shape, I think are just absolutely fascinating how much we've learned in a relatively short amount of time and how this can really help our patients and benefit our patients by fitting lenses that are better and more precise. We also you know, have scanning technology, we have impression-based technology. There's True. so much that we have when it comes to scleral lenses to really help not only the vision, the comfort, but also the ocular health for our patients. Yeah. And one step up from that, and I know we don't want to go there in this podcast, but we've learned so much about that, Melissa, from the ocular surface shape that we're applying it now to soft lenses because everything is in elevation now. We, we got to stop working with curves, especially when it comes to soft lenses and sclerals. It's all about elevation. Scleral lens trial sets, they're in different increments, right? 200 micron steps or what have you. Um, the, the, the fluid reservoir we talked about, it's all in clear the elevation differences, when to go to a scleral, when to fit a toric scleral, that's all about the micron. So that is for me, uh, as an educator, a next step up. And again, we're applying that now across the board to all kinds of lenses. Exactly. That's the next podcast. <laughs> so getting back to the VCLA clear scleral report, 
what is the future of scleral lenses? And, and that's kind of a broad question. You know, we, we did talk about that in the report, but I'd also like your opinion. What do you think is the future of scleral lenses? Yeah, because we've established a lot of things in the report and uh, let, let me quickly uh, name a few. So I think um, a couple of things have been sort of solved. I mean, we understand the ocular shape now. There's still to be learned, but still, I think the bulk is pretty much uh, mapped out quite literally. Um, on the hypoxia front, again, we know that we need a lot of oxygen because it needs to go through the lens, which is thicker than a corneal GP, and then it has to go to the fluid reservoir. But we also know that everything over, let's say, a decay of 100 doesn't really matter that much. Um, we also know that lens thickness from the people from Queensland University, um, if you really have a really, really, really thick lens, it may sort of impact the decay, but you need steps of like 600 microns to really make an impact. And we know a typical scleral lens is 300 microns, right? So that that's, doesn't make sense. And they also found that fenestrations don't have a lot of effect. Um, so the only thing you can play with a little bit is the clearance behind the lens and then of course the decay so i wouldn't say it's solved but we we sort of understand what's going on there um I, the one thing we really want to look into which is a nuisance to a lot of patients is that whole fogging thing so midday fogging it's called and uh, in the middle of the day patients complain about uh well their vision going down they need to take the lens out uh, uh clean it and reapply it and um, we don't really understand what's going on there. Um, it may be leukocytes or lipids or external tear from debris. And um, we can play around with the lens design because I do think it plays a role. We couldn't find the real evidence, right, in the report. So we had some discussions about that, what to say in the report. We couldn't say, actually, if you align the lens better with the ocular surface, your fogging problem will go down. I do think there is that, but we couldn't quite prove it. But that's uh, that's an area to work on. Um, I'm not too worried anymore about microbial keratitis. Uh, I heard your beautiful uh, podcast with uh, Fiona Stapleton. And um, like in her discussion with scleral lenses, it's not so much about the lens or the modality. Um, it's more about compliance and, and the tap water issue that you guys talked about so much, which I really enjoyed. Well, didn't enjoy, but that was a good point. And um, so, yeah, it's more compliance related. So we need to focus on that more, but we can't really do much there in terms of research, I think. Um, IOP, that is a, um, a thing, a little cloud over this whole scleral lens thing. What we if we had any discussions for the paper, Melissa, it was about that one, right? That went back a few times between different uh, authors. Um, let's say the judge is still out. So collectively, I think there's uh, sufficient evidence to say that there may be three to five millimeters of mercury um, change in scleral lenses. The problem is it's really hard to measure because as soon as you take the lens off, you break the seal and you may have a different IOP, right? So. That's a tricky one. Again, the people at uh, Queensland University did something really smart. They drilled a hole in the lens and measured the IOP through the hole. So the lens was still in place. Uh, they found a little increase uh, doing that. 
Um, but still, the, the seal is broken. So the newest research is now actually looking at the optic disc and seeing what the changes are there. And again, there may be a small uh, change caused by the scleral lens. So if you have a patient with glaucoma or a history or a family history of glaucoma, that is something to take into account. The most eye practitioners I talk to, it would not be a reason not to fit a scleral lens because typically there's a good reason why you need a scleral lens. But that is an area that needs a little bit more uh, work, so to say. Oh, excellent points. Yes, we we talked about many of these things, all of the authors back and forth when, when writing this report. The one other thing I will add that I enjoyed in our BCLA clear scleral report is that we talked about smart scleral lenses and the future of scleral lenses because scleral lenses are so stable that we can incorporate things um, in the future, which is kind of now, such as telescopes, different devices that can help with low vision and things like that. Gosh, there's so much we can talk about. We could go on and on, but if there was one thing that our listeners should know about the BCLA Clear Scleral Report, what would it be? What would it be? Huh, that's a good one. Um, well, I think we, we had a big discussion and we're actually going to follow up on that uh, tomorrow between within the group of IECO, the International Association for Contact Lens Educators. And the discussion is about should everybody be a scleral lens uh, expert, so to say, like yourself, and um, or not. I mean, is scleral lens is something that we need to teach in general school and in, in the first three or four years of their education? Or is it something that is a specialty, like, for instance, in their residency or here, maybe in the Netherlands or in Europe as a master? I was in Spain last week that they have it does it, it, it is available in their standard curriculum, um, but it's more for the uh, master students that really get the, the clinical experience. Um, don't know what you think about it. So, but to finish that off, I think everybody should know about it because I really want scleral lenses to be the happy view, not for the happy few. I want it to be available for everybody who could potentially benefit from scleral lenses. So everybody should know about it. Whether you should do it, uh, one of my PSU students, uh, Ruth uh, from Portugal, she found that you need about 40 to 60 scleral lens fits before you become an expert and your return rate actually goes down. So I, I don't think ev not everybody has access to so many patients. And if you see one scleral lens patient every two or three months, I don't think that's going to work. So that, that is an area of debate. What do you think? So I think that everyone, everyone, so that not only eye care providers, but every medical provider should know about scleral lenses and should know the indications. I think that those who want to fit lenses, that's great. And, and those who don't, that's fine as well. But we should all have some basic knowledge on application, removal, solutions. And if you don't fit scleral lenses, then refer to someone who does and easily co-managed. And I do that all the time. I have optometrists, even ophthalmologists, corneal specialists, rheumatologists, oncologists who send me patients. We collaborate together and we help our patients. And there's a huge opportunity globally to help so many people with scleral lenses. So I'm thrilled that you're having Good this point. Discussion. Good point. And at least I, I, I'm happy I could 
ask you one question, interview <laughs> you with one question <laughs> all the way at the end. Well, thank you so much for Well, thank you. thank you. You did a wonderful job on this uh, report, Melissa. Really well done. Well, thank you for all of your help. And as always, I appreciate talking to you. And thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next time on the BCLA podcast. Bye. The BCLA has a wide range of membership benefits and services. If you'd like to find out more and get access to our amazing educational program, including conferences, webinars, online courses, please take a look at our website, www.bcla.org.uk. There are a variety of membership options and you can access to all of these benefits within moments of signing up. Look forward to seeing you.